Thank you very, very much to everybody for coming and for the Brooklyn Public Library for hosting this event. A personal thank you also to Suyan Locks, my friend from Philadelphia, who made the precious introduction to Linda that set this whole ball rolling. Mm. Wonderful. The review panel. Who is here at a review panel for the first time? That's, oh. that's impressive. That <laughs> looks like a healthy, hearty plurality of this audience. So let me, for your benefit, and to refresh the memories of those who are seasoned review panelists and review panel attendees, run through exactly what we're doing. Uh, as as all, almost of all, you, all of you hopefully know, we have been, uh, those, who are paid, those of us who are paid to be here certainly have been, and uh, many of you, the audience, have been to see four current exhibitions of contemporary art around New York City. Two, um, unusually, at one venue, Canada Gallery on the Lower East Side, and the other two um, at Pioneer Works in Red Hook and Luring Augustine Bushwick in Bushwick. So, what we do, the format of the evening, is simplicity itself. We have prepared short PowerPoint presentations. Uh, we'll look at the PowerPoints for the first two shows that we're going to discuss, which this evening happen to be the Brooklyn shows, Glenn Legon in Bushwick and uh, Charles Harlan in Red Hook. Then my guests, who I'm about to introduce, and I thrash it out, <laughs> decide what we make of this, <laughs> reach consensus or agree to differ on, on those two shows dealt with consecutively. Then it's a chance for you, the people, uh, to, to have your say in this, uh, this, this town hall of aesthetic criticism. And uh, as I'll explain again at that time, in contrast to 99 out of 100 moderators, I actually prefer comments to questions, because questions usually require an answer, and that takes much too long. So comments, much more welcome. Just let off some steam, tell us what you think, and we'll have a review panel, not of four critics, but of 220 critics. And then we'll repeat the exercise for part two, for the two shows at Canada Gallery of Catherine Bradford and Elizabeth Clay. Well, first of all, then, it's my great, great pleasure to introduce my guests this evening. Um, on my left, to the right of me, from your point of view, is <laughs> Roberta Smith, co-chief critic, art critic of the New York Times, a job description that doesn't require uh, much uh, detail or amplification to back it up, because <laughs> in our job, it kind of doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> then there's me, already been introduced. And to my right is Siri Hustvedt, uh, distinguished, one of our great distinguished public intellectuals here in Brooklyn, here in America, the author uh, the, of 10 uh, books of both fiction and non-fiction. I, I recall the day when as a boy, uh, well, as you know, a young man. <laughs> uh, otherwise, she'd have been a girl, and that wouldn't have been it's possible okay. from it's a literary okay. point of view. Go for it. As a young person reading this, one of the English Sunday newspapers, 
I saw a photograph and before I even had time to finish reading the review, was holding a copy of The Blindfold in my hands. Um, she's the author of uh, the, the, the best-selling uh, What I Loved, a title that any art critic would want to get his or her hands on. Uh, she is uh, a polymath. Besides her fiction and non-fiction, she, is, uh, she holds a PhD in literature. She has given such distinguished lectures as the Freud Lecture in Vienna and the Schelling Lecture in Munich. She is a professor also of a lecturer in uh, psychiatry at Cornell Weill, and she has lectured at museums and art schools on artistic subjects, including Goya at the New York Studio School. And um, the final guest, like Roberta, a, a veteran of the review panel, uh, Alexi Wirth, the painter. He shows at DC Moore Gallery. He likes to insist that he's retired from the grubby <laughs> day job of writing <laughs> art criticism, but as somebody who is a serv lifelong servant of the 10th Muse, I never believe that anyone really retires from art criticism. David Sylvester in his 70s told <coughs> me, you can't retire from art oh, criticism. Yeah. And he uh, is, uh, but he, in his days as a jobbing critic, as it were, uh, w was read, even if his name wasn't always at the end of them, uh, in the pages of uh, The New Yorker, in the goings on about town, and in Art Forum. Uh, more recently, as a writer, he's transitioned to more uh, scholarly and discursive writings, such as his uh, riveting accounts of Manet and photography, which we've been reading in Cabinet Magazine and other places. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. Great, let's resume our uh, approximate positions, if we like, <laughs> unless Roberta wants to fulfill her lifelong fantasy of being a Dalek, and um, um, anyway, that's, that's the, the free form of this coffee table, it's so much nicer than that Politburo arrangement of a, a, of a, a table behind which we all have to hide and, um, and, and line up. Um, much more opportunities both for uh, consensus and dissent when one is in a circle. Um, so, Glenn Legan, usually when we have the PowerPoint presentations, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed by the silence because uh, it, it just leaves out the, 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 the sense of reality, the uh, whatever you hear when you're in a gallery, the receptionists uh, chattering away or the scraping of um, furniture as people do this and that. But here, actually, silence seems to be the um, essence of that experience, doesn't it? That we've got um, this homage to one of the great stand-up comedians of our time. Uh, the punchline is very literally robbed from us in this uh, silent Richard Pryor. Um, what is going on with the silence of Glenn Legan, Alexei? Well, one question to me is whether the press release is right about the text in Richard Pryor Live at the Sunset Strip. That in the course of the yeah. performance, he says, when I get angry, I get silent. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is that the cue for the silence? That seems like a, maybe a little bit of a narrow way to read it. So do we take the silence to be complicit with Pryor's anger 
and a way of kind of um, tacitly magnifying this note of anger, I, I don't think I do. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that's, that's what we're instructed, more or less. I, I don't, I can't really, that seems opportunistic and out of key with the, the shrine-like um, admiration and um, tact of the piece as a whole. I, mm -hmm. I, um, I, I can't entirely rule it out because it's, it's true. I just rewatched um, Live at Sunset Strip this morning and, and um, seeing it again, you think, oh, okay. But I, the piece feels like a lot of Ligon's work, um, more diplomatic, more deliberately hard to parse than that. Um, and, uh, and the silence leaves you, I mean, the silence makes it more like a painting, more like um, the practice out of which Ligon's um, work originally grows. And I found myself thinking it throws us back into, into Pryor's human affect, the kind of marked apprehensiveness that his face keeps falling back into. Mm -hmm. um, a sympathetic, almost loving, certainly admiring sense of this individual man without, you know, I, I didn't think of this when I first saw the piece, the black spaces, the pauses in the, yeah. in the video are the audience, right? They're, in the movie, there are all these panning shots of the mixed race, laughing, happy, cheerful audience. That's what's gone. Mm -hmm. um, and without them, it's more plaintive and poignant. In yeah. the small screen, there's a moment during the cycle where you see the, the heads really like shadows of the audience. Huh. So that, that's, that was an interesting thing. And then, of course, on the large screen, there's a screen where it's really focusing on prior shadow. M much of the and, time. And this mm -hmm. is really a kind of wonderful uh, thing. I, I stayed there for a long time. And I think th that's the, the trick, right? That you have to be turning and looking at those screens continually and it becomes a kind of phenomenological adventure, if you will. Um, and that you are continually have to shift your focus from different parts of this kinetic body that is moving all the time. And as it goes on, it becomes in a way more and more abstract and less and less Richard Pryor. <laughs> but a kind of, for me, this encounter face-to-face, body-to-body, there becomes a kind of mirroring that happens between the spectator and these uh, films or pieces of film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listen, I left there, this is a little extravagant, but I started thinking about the philosopher Emmanuel Levinas yes. and his ideas about the face. And, of course, for Levinas, it's not, the face isn't, the face is the other, but he's not talking about literal faces, that there's more to a being, you know, mm -hmm. than just the face. But this naked encounter face-to-face -face or body-to-body -body is a form of ethical demand. Mm -hmm. I 
I found that I found it very moving by the time I teetered out of there after, you But know, wait. <laughs> yeah. an hour. An ethical demand that had less to do with who Pryor is and more to do with... I think there's some context, too, of course, because um, there's the sense that, uh, that we, he is talking about black experience. And so depending, I think, on who the, the spectator is, some form of intersubjectivity or a relationship is established between the spectator and this man, this body, and, and, and that's certainly part of it. And then what makes it all the more phenomenological is the isolation of the, the nonverbal language of the, the emoting body, the performing yes, body, yes. the hysteri this hysteria of, of, of what one knows to be or guesses to be um, imitations of other voices, because so much of Pryor's comedy is about embodying other voices. Yes. So that to remove the the, the voice is to get this and, this, and of course this it's new. It's not funny. It it takes the yeah the punchline has yeah. really gone for a walk. The humor is gone. Yes, yeah. Roberta, d does this? Uh, uh, where do you feel uh, Ligon is is so much better known? Uh, for his his work with uh, in, in painting with this barely legible kind of painting or the the hard read the slow read um, where does where does this um, departure um, do you feel fit with that um, program of delegibility well i've always found his work kind of opaque and very very cool and conceptual mm -hmm. and i have issues with that um, I, I thought this was one of the best things he'd ever done, and that he introduced a quality of unpredictability into his piece that hasn't been there before. And I, you know, it depends on how, how much uh, prior is in your head, how much you've seen of him. But, and I can't say I've seen a lot, but I love the fact that there was no sound, and that you yeah. just saw the body, and that you just saw this kind of choreography that, that is, that comes with his, with his talking. And that you would never see that in quite the same way if you're listening to him talk and his amazing characters and his punchlines. And that you saw a whole other kind of, of effort and drama and, and involvement on his part. And if you knew him, you could see a lot, you could read his lips a lot. I mean, if you knew his performances, I beg your pardon. But if you, had a sense of his, or memories of his performances, you could see him shift characters. You could see yeah. him do the old man with his mouth sort of closed up tight. And you could read his lips sometime. And I do think that, you know, I never really thought about the, the quote about anger. I mean, I read it, but I didn't think about it. But of course, that was one of his main conduits, yeah. was yeah. anger. Mm -hmm. he, I mean, he literally, this is a man who had a very explosive Uh, sensibility and understanding of what life was like and who literally, excuse me, blew himself up. So it's just, and just to see him looking so great in those colors mm. that orange suit are and gorgeous. the yellow flower yeah. and, 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 you know, I guess if you're in the audience, you know, there's some kind of like, wasn't that a Barry Kisselstein cord uh, belt? That was yeah. like, I mean, I just, sorry, I loved all those details. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was an incredibly fashionable belt a, a while ago, quite a while ago, right? I don't know. I, I thought it was, um, and then I also thought that you were in this space with these images coming and going, and, you know, each camera was focused 
on a specific yes. body part, one yes. hand or the other, his torso, his full length. Mm. And that what you had here was a really interesting dissection of a film shot. You know, each time you were seeing a, a, a what was going on in a complete, in a shot. And you could never have seen all that and picked all that out without this kind of almost cubist uh, dissection. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happened was that you were forced into to do what he was doing, which was you were kind of roaming. You were roaming the space the way he was roaming the stage to keep up with all the different views of him and the way they would come in and out. And I, I just thought it was, you know, I was really happy about it because I haven't always been happy about his work. I found it, like I said at the beginning, a little too, a little too removed. And um, I don't know. I just thought this was more direct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, and you know, the, 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 the screens go come on and off, so the kinetic energy of um, his performance is partly echoed in that movement of the screens churning on and off. There's a form of disorientation, you know, for the viewer, and I found that quite exciting. Yeah, and a very, and, and, and obviously a, such a radically different e experience from the static massed audience of yes. Richard Pryor mm -hmm. yeah. to being for the most part, I mean, when I went there, it was the weekend, but it was, I was the only person in the gallery, the solitary experience of wandering around with this bizarre artifact of a, 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 a devocalized um, uh, prior. Um, yeah, yeah. I was alone and I sat down. Mm -hmm. I just sat down on the dirty floor and pivoted. <laughs> right. And, you know, a couple times someone came. Mm. And then you think, you really can't see this thing unless, yeah. unless you stay. Wow. You know, so I really recommend, if you haven't seen it, not to go in and walk out. I mean, there were people, they came and they looked around and then they mm. left. Because you, you can't yeah. get sure. anything. Sure, yeah. it's not a purely no, physical I stayed thing. a really long time. And I, yeah. and I went out and I said to the people at the desk, I said, you know, because I just said, you know, in the studio that piece Bruce Nauman did, you had chairs that you could roll around on, remember yeah, that? Yeah, like this, yeah. that's right. You yeah. need Theo. a bench, yes. they need a bench. Mm. No, you needed to be able to move all the time because the images were just yes. coming from all these different directions. You need chairs like this. Just perfect, this would be. <laughs> but yeah. at a certain point, like after about 40 minutes, I just mm. said, okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. My yeah. feet have But, but Siri, was, un it. Siri was uninhibited, yeah. she got down and dirty with Richard Pryor, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's superb, yeah. yeah. So, Alexi, the painting, what, what do you think, that, that painting, um, does that pivot? The the, as you walk in, the one yeah. from 2005 yeah. or whatever? Mm. Yeah. 2004, I think, yeah. Well, it was absolutely. a beautiful introduction to the piece. I yes. didn't even ask, I mean, that's got to be prior as well. Um, yes. yes, and also it's the red, it really picks up with his suit, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 But mm. I, I'm not sure what your question is about that piece, but... Do, do you feel there's, there's, there's uh, um, a convincing arc between... The, the painting of that we know of uh, of uh, Ligon that's represented in the show by the by well, the single. I don't. I'm instance. not sure, but I share Roberta's um, hesitations or qualifications um, to some degree myself about some of that earlier work, which is mm -hmm. enormously beloved and enormously influential. And on mm -hmm. the one hand, I feel like in the last ten years, I've seen huge numbers um, of. I've seen. There's an enormous growth to me traveling around graduate schools in um, the level of young black artists and, and the promise of their work. It seems to me mm. that a lot of 
very often the most interesting students are, that I see are young African-American students. That wasn't necessarily true 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I really think it is now. And they're all thinking about Glenn Ligon. They're, he's he's a, huge, a central mm -hmm. presence for m many, many, I would say the vast majority of young black artists who were dealing with identity. Not everyone is, obviously. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think he's been more influential, if less visible, than somebody like Kara Walker. Hmm. Um, and I think, in fact, he was, in, he was the springboard for Kara Walker, her, whose very earliest pieces were text pieces. So he's, he's, huge, he's been a hugely enabling yes. um, force. At the same time, personally, I, I share a feeling that the work is inc incredibly... Its reserve seems astute and shrewd and enormously knowledgeable about how it synthesizes Nauman and Johns and other pieces of um, different forms of conceptualism and minimalism and pop. And it does so in a way, it brings to that a new subject for, that, for those physical forms of address. But it hasn't always, I've, I've felt respectful and engaged, but not not engaged past a certain level. And, mm -hmm. and, and truthfully here, I didn't either. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, to me, the most interesting question is, this, is Roberta's comment or about that this, this takes him to a new place or a new, mm -hmm. um, is, is a shift or an interesting departure chapter, something like that in the work. I, I couldn't quite feel that here. There, to me, there's a few pieces that breakout in the history of his work, um, like the America Black Neons might be the ones I would choose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The um, Negro Sunshine, and yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically the ones with the word America. Uh -huh. um, there's a bunch of variations. Here, mm -hmm. I, I didn't get, with the seven screens, I didn't have your experience so right. much. I wasn't, I was thinking, I was thinking, God, this is such a shrewd, smart way to get this material, and um, it, the subject matter is, in this year especially, so deeply on our minds. Mm -hmm. But the, but the um, aside maybe from the color, which I think he tweaked interestingly, having rewatched the gorgeous. movie, the movie looked right? totally different. It wasn't, didn't have, maybe it was the black room, I don't know, I suspect that he did stuff with the color. And you know, there's a moment the glass of water comes Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful. You know, it's almost like Chardin, and he's got his, he's sitting then, and then you look, and he's got these gold shoes on, and that glass of water with lemons. I mean, it's really beautiful. Um, I, this curious. is my Nomen favorite yeah. thing that I've seen by him, too. And, I'm, uh -huh. and I would not say that I'm an expert, but for me, this was a, 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 a motion, too, into mm -hmm. something more, well, I'm going to use the word visceral. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think that he does something very special, which is that he's constantly sifting through this material. It's a very focused and yeah. uh, form of appropriation at every turn. Mm -hmm. And he, he changes it physically, but it's almost like an editorial function. Yeah. You know, he figures out how to get things out of these things, show us further things about them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, okay, Richard Wright's writing can be made into a painting, you know, I mean, that's what mm -hmm. you get from that. Richard Pryor can be, be dissected into something completely other than, mm -hmm. you know, than we associate with him, which is a certain kind of point of view and sound. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he'll always have that. That's why I'm not so worried about the continuity 
Because I think the continuity is way out here. It's not mm -hmm. from object to object. Mm -hmm. and he'll just jump around. Mm. It does seem, though, that there's, um, without there being any tension within it, some split between, on the one hand, um, a lexicon uh, of uh, concerns uh, or, or, or a dealing with a canon of um, the black experience. So from that canon of the black experience, constructing works which then have a whole set of formal or phenomenological concerns, such as those that Siri has noticed and isolated, um, which are essentially don't really have ostensibly or without a great deal of um, sympathetic contemplation on our part, any connection with the subject. For, so, for instance, the, the fashion details that Roberta's enjoying, <laughs> the, the still life elements that Siri is picking up on, the, the sense of fragmentation and cubism. These are uh, a, a rich panoply of kind of formal and uh, conceptual possibilities that don't necessarily uh, or causally have anything to do with, uh, excuse me, with a deconstruction of... Um, the black American experience. Yes. I, I, um, well, you could yeah. say that continuity is a kind of precision and cleanness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and therefore focus. Mm -hmm. And that he's always going to... There's, there's something tight about his work that, that works mm -hmm. for and against him. And I guess about the, the thing about this piece was that he kind of was breaking it up in a different way. Oh, but I it's don't... it's still about, no. mm. you know... I don't doubt for a moment that... Um, everything he does will have his stamp on it, but that's not what I was saying. I was saying that within his uh, approach, um, his um, finding these other qualities to concern himself with, yeah. I mean, concerning himself with the color, for instance, of the uh, enhancing or uh, right. responding to the red, um, isn't per se uh, an extension or continuation or of the, um, let's call it the... The, the black American thing. Yeah, or the political message. The I mean, political. I think that's, right. it's, it's not Ajit Prop, right? right? I mean, right. I think that there, there's a kind of ambiguity that's produced from the work, which makes it, exactly. you know, not a slogan. It's not platitudes mm -hmm. about the black experience that we're supposed to be taking in, or slogans, you know, whatever they happen to be. What interests me is I think that I left there as I said, feeling that the experience had the force of an encounter with another body, and that encounter uh, felt that it had some ethical import. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th there's the element also of infatuation. I, I, I have a, like a, an evolving canon within my own uh, mind, maybe because it tallies with some yeah. of my own preoccupations, with artists who infatuate and uh, fix themselves to um, uh, idols or um, uh, heroes, heroines, um, you know, it, it, Joseph Cornell is probably the, the, yes. the grand master of that uh, oeuvre with his uh, Lauren Bacall or Susan Sontag or whoever, and, um, and, and then there are others. So. Richard Pryor, this, this, there's been Pryor, Pryor, as it were, <laughs> within uh, uh, Legon, and, and mm -hmm. clearly this is not just a convenient cipher no. for some interest in uh, no. the black male no. or uh, the black voice or whatever. No. This is Richard Pryor. Yeah. Right. Um, is that just his private affair and we should let him get on with it? Or um, is that infatuation folded into the work in some way, do we think, Roberta, for instance? I don't know if uh, I can answer that. 
Okay. Or um, anyone want to pick <laughs> up on I it? I would like to say, yes. yeah. say yeah. that I think that, as with John's, you could talk about him trying to be a different kind of artist and that his ego is in a different place. And that um, that's... I wouldn't say that it's he's he's a fan or idolizing somebody, but he's mm -hmm. constantly. I mean, I'm kind of repeating myself. Yeah. But he's constantly picking up these cultural, you know, yes. unit, units, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Signposts, maybe, and, or something. And, yeah. yeah, it's better. And using them, and uh, that's what I really like about his work, in a way. Right, right. Well, the show's up for uh, for a while, I believe. It's up till let's April, see. I think. Uh, yeah, it doesn't tell me that. It's up for a while, <laughs> so <laughs> let's go back and spend. No, you can spend eighty-eight minutes with it. Um, it's an eighty-eight-minute long presentation. Eighty. Eighty. Okay. I'm Eighty. Cheating you of eight minutes. Sorry. Okay. Um, fantastic. I think we could carry on talking for a lot yeah, longer about yeah. um, about Legon. And we might want to, we might or might not be happy to subtract it from our next discussion. But let's move, nonetheless, uh, from Bushwick to Red Hawk, <laughs> where we've been to pioneer works uh, and seen the work of Charles Harlan. Uh, I've got to say, this is my first visit to pioneer works, uh, which is uh, something I probably shouldn't confess to publicly because it's um, it's established itself as a important. Um, cultural resource in this borough and in the city. Um, but it was a great pleasure to be there, um, especially when I looked at the ceiling. Um, just, it is an extraordinary building, and it was an extraordinary building, and its repurposing is, is a riveting experience. Rivets might be the operative word, but... Um, <laughs> It's sometimes a problem, isn't it? If 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 you you can have an exhibition in a really s sublime venue, um, does that exhibition really work with that venue in a, in a creative way, um, or is it just uh, get used to it? Okay, it's a beautiful building. Enough already. Look at the art, um, or, or um, is it you know if you put something in too good a frame, then it's it can be an obstacle. Um, I don't know. Uh, what did you make uh, of this experience, Siri? Did you... There's always the little pause while we wait to see who he's going to pick. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I, I, have, I, and I have no idea uh, who I'm going to pick, so it's... Um, well, um, you know, I think I'm 60 years old, and over time I've seen a lot of art, and this is... Uh, you know, continuing now a very old tradition of the ready-made. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a lovely space. Uh, <laughs> and, and the things look really lovely inside that space. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I guess I have to say that um, I wasn't, I didn't feel excited. It didn't generate um, a great deal of thought. And that might be my bias that I like to, okay, I'll say exactly what I am looking for in works of art. I am looking for the excess that I do not understand, that I have to reach to get it. Now, I could always be wrong. 
and no doubt have been and will be. But I didn't feel that looking at those works that there was a lot that was keeping alive this questioning, curious interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So with the, the piece called Water, for instance, which is a 10 by 10 by 10 foot structure, when you go upstairs, you can look down and see in it this, this reflective pool. But from uh, ground level, yes, it you looks have this very, very fine kind of brick structure. And it's, it's a, 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 a natural a cube and a, a sort of a, a, an extension of, and, but not necessarily an enhancement of, the uh, great number of rich bricks that we have already in pioneer works. When, when I see a, a brick structure I, uh, of a geometric form, um, you know, uh, uh, Per Kerkebu immediately comes to my yeah. mind as somebody who, the, the, the Danish uh, yeah. ex neo-expressionist painter who's done so much with um, architecture and, and brick yeah. and so, so is so transformative. Um, but then, yeah, I, I, I have this and so I, I try to ignore the um, architecture uh, as it seems the artist probably has and um, see what I can get from this work and it's for me that's a work in progress but I was hoping that Roberta or Siri or Alexi will put me on the right track um, Roberta um, enlighten us uh, <coughs> well yes. I was this is an artist I've been interested in he did a piece at uh, JTT in the Lower East Side that was this enormous culvert like I mean 12 almost 12 feet in diameter that had just barely been if you've been to that gallery it's barely 12 feet wide so it had been fit in there, and it <laughs> basically it was just in there and, it, and kind of unsteady, so that when you walked through it, the whole thing would, would move back and forth a bit. And it was just, I thought, okay, this is somebody who, it was, there was an element of perception and playing with the space and obviously uh, setting up a major moving project. Mm -hmm. But um, I, so I was extremely disappointed in this in in uh, this show. I thought it was completely generic minimalism slash post minimalism, with the exception of uh, no, just a, I don't know about Pierre Kirkaby, but I do know about Tony Smith, Donald Judd, a bunch yeah, of people yeah. using cubes, and I I don't know. I find it kind of irritating that to get what the piece is about, you either have to read the wall and see that there's water in there, or you have to go up to the second or third floor and look down. I just that just irritated the hell out of me. <laughs> um, and the chain link piece just seemed completely obvious. I mean, talk about lack of ex excess. That was just, there wasn't anything there. They would tell you, they told you that it came down 33 feet to the floor, so you knew how high the ceiling was. Um, the best piece, I thought, was the one Shingles. Yes. Yeah. Which had yeah. this kind of funny play on Andre and had a kind of experiential aspect in that when you walked on it, you knew there weren't many times you were going to be walking on shingles. If you're not a professional roofer, you're not really going to have that experience. So I just thought the way it felt to my feet was kind of interesting. And then I liked looking at it and seeing how it was put together. And um, then I got into the second space and he put something on the wall. And I just thought, well, this guy doesn't get it. You know, he's working with space, and he's going to treat this place just like a gallery. Mm. 
Mm. So that was, um, you know, he, do, he does these pieces where he finds trees that have grown yeah. into, into yeah. hurricane yeah, chain link fencing and then cuts out the square and you sort of have this wall relief. They're okay. I mean, they're kind of interesting as just like nature did this. Mm -hmm. um, but, so I, and I, I can't say that I really like the space. I think that if you're going to redo a space, you redo it totally and you think about it totally. And for me, the standard is set by Donald Judd and the stuff he did in Marfa, where you look at the spaces and you don't really know what they were before. Mm -hmm. When I was in this space, I just got really sad about whatever had, the factory that had been there before and that it wasn't <laughs> there anymore. And, you know, I just had the sense of things like clanking and whirring and, and people walking around and... People the, employed, yes. Then the best, yeah, and the best thing there for me was this guy out in the garden named Adam Stennett who's mm. spending a month in the garden. I mean, literally in the garden. He's built himself a 100-square-foot hut out of plastic, and he's got, all, he's got everything he's going to get he brought with him to be there, and he's got a whole compost set up, and he's got a little heater that heats the place evidently really well at night, and he's, got, he's collecting rainwater. And I just thought, you know, I just... I, I liked it. I just thought, well, this is not, not really <laughs> new, but this is somebody doing something that's taking his full attention. Yeah. yeah. And that aspect of attention was, was very compelling. Right. It did seem to be phoned in post-minimalism, didn't it? And a lot you didn't get it in Mr. Mm. Harlan's work, and you didn't mm. get it in the way that space had been handled. Right. Yeah. It, it, uh, Alexi, it did seem to me, I, I must confess, rather generic um, um, we, we, we're, we're so, um, um, we, we've had a lot of, we've had decades to get used to uh, environmental art, yes, minimal, yes, arte povera, yes, post-minimal. Yes. By the way, with Kekabu, it's not that he made cubes, it's that he used bricks. So um, <laughs> he, he, makes these, he makes these architectural, yeah. sculptural effects with brick. So yeah, of course, the minimalists with the cube. Uh, that's, they own the cube, but um, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, um, what is, what's, what's the agenda? What, 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 what is he, what do you think he's trying to do? Well, the theatrics of tonight's presentation suggests that I should find a way to disagree, if at all possible. <laughs> and <laughs> alas... I have to kind of glumly just say, I think you all said very well, more or less what I felt. Um, and before I try to answer your question, I thought, Roberta, really, you changed how I felt about the, the roofing piece, that you, you improved it. Because by the time I, I walked around to that part, I felt I didn't trust the artist. I didn't, I didn't, I'd, I'd lost my appetite. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, that, that happens, and now in retrospect, I'm walking back over those tiles and having the feeling you describe, <laughs> and it's much, it's a, you know, it's, it's got a little shiver of humor, mm. which is something I'm always hoping to find. find. Not, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. even like that I'm gonna chuckle, but, yeah. but that the possibility of humor exists within the work, that there's a kind of amplitude of sensibility. Mm. Even like somebody like Glenn Ligon, that's true of. Even yeah, when the yeah. works are quite reserved, there's, there yeah. can be wrynesses to them. Um, here I just didn't feel it, but I do think it was in the JTT piece, which felt like impossible and ridiculous and a kind of a beautiful goof. And some of his other pieces, there's some roll-up, uh, there's yeah. like a roll-up gate and a piece that occupied a whole gallery mm -hmm. 
that also felt um, like they, they felt, they had some, that humor, ridiculousness, a kind of, it didn't, here it felt like, uh, f- David, you said phoned in, I was thinking kind of back of the napkin, like mm, mm, he was presented mm. with an opportunity, and, and this is to me a kind of a disastrous problem that I associate with yeah. Mass Mocha and... Um, right, yeah, the well, space to fill. Gal- the space, yeah, this, this is a mini Mass Mocha, isn't it? Right. Yes. And yeah, it's like... Hmm. I, I feel like there's a, there's a pra- there's a use to artists who can be counted on to hmm. fill a giant acreage. Yes. And I don't think you want to be that artist who can just dependably do that in yeah. the way that he did here. Yeah, but let me let yeah. me say that you know, I, I think that the the language, the, the the visual formal possibilities thrown up by minimal post minimal land art, uh, it's it, I I would earlier in my career as a stuffy conservative. It, I would have said, <laughs> "Oh, it's been done. It can't. You can't. No need to reinvent the wheel." Uh, now I'm coming round to, to saying, "No, that's that is that's exclusionary. That's unfair. Look, th- these these are components that can be reinvented and 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 repurposed." Yes. And if you look at an artist like Song Dong, for instance, in uh, the, the Chinese artist, often using the forms from. The, the generation of the 60s and 70s in, in a way that, that is fresh and pertinent and, and, and has vigor and purpose. So I, I don't think we, we, we need to... We, I don't think oh, yeah. we should be accused of a snobbery no, against... I don't think uh, anyone uh, wants to throw yeah. out cubes, no, you know, no. for example. And no, no, but I mean, really, sure, in that, in that sure. sense, that there's a kind of pluralism, clearly. Mm. I mean, if you look at the sh- four shows that um, yeah. were picked for this panel... Yeah. Pluralism is the order of the day, and and exactly. and I think that's good. But it's weird that some cubes yes. address you with a rigor and yeah. necessity that I that yeah. and so sometimes I don't understand why. Some cubes are more cubist than others. You know what? What? <laughs> but but then I did not feel that. Yeah. You know, you can walk in. There's um, a a judge show that might still be at Swerner. No, it was a while uh, ago. A little while ago, yes. Yeah. And, you know, you walk in and you see these. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. but they are, they have power. They reinvent themselves. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, I think we, okay. we might, it, uh, right. it we might be cruel to continue. Okay. Yes, um, right. But uh, do, do go and, uh, and see Harlan in, um, in, in Red Hook. And now is a great moment. So we got some roving mics. Uh, and this is where we get a chance to to hear oh, yeah. some some of what you might be bottle, um, dying to say, uh, uh, either in defence of of Harlan perhaps, or um, uh, some probing critique that we missed of uh, Ligon, or whatever you have to say. Absolutely, and uh, we'll take we'll take comments on either show. I've got a mic for you. And there's I'll a mic around. coming round. I see your from Are they going to put up the lights a little? Yeah, let's put the lights up a little. That would be great. Yes, yeah, so we can at least see you. So it's not a disem. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. Orion Stender. We can hear you um, and see you. Back to the Legon uh, show. I love Richard Pryor, and I like Gwen Legon quite a lot. And uh, I'm kind of wondering if there was a sort of a whitewash of the show's title, and. By whitewash, I don't. I'm not even referring to a bunch of white people talking about right. a black artist quoting a black artist who talks about the black experience. <laughs> that, that's like another whole layer. Yeah. But um, 
I think the title of the show is something like, it's time to we wake We gotta up. wake up because that's what time it is. What because that's what time, yeah. Well, my brother and I used to listen to Richard Pryor records a lot in high school. And uh, to this day, we could still crack each other up by saying, someone says, what time it is? What time is it? The answer is, time for you to quit fucking with me. <laughs> we still, we will like call each other and say that and crack each other up. So I'm kind of wondering if that, that was really the title of the show and maybe Luring Augustine mm. said, well, you know, we can't really like list that oh, in the New York Times. Right. Because I've never heard that. So as an expert on Richard Pryor, you would recognize <laughs> that. You, would, you might nuanced, recognize yeah. this, it's time to wake up. Well, that I've not heard. I'm not an uh -huh. expert, but I certainly remember time for you to quit fucking with me. And I do not remember because that's what time it is. So I'm just wondering about that. Don't you think the New York art world can, can stand that? Yeah, I'm not sure I th that that's so likely, but I also think it's a great title. The I title that too. he chose. That he chose, yeah. yes. yes. It's time to wake up because that's It's not a sanitized... It, yeah. uh, it's it doesn't, not a, doesn't not a satisfy your family yes. imperatives as much, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, let's hear for uh, more. Oh, hi, um, I actually work at Luring Augustine. So ah, <laughs> excellent. Great. Answer, tell us. Shed some light. Um, so Glenn said the title comes from... Oh, good. He overheard... Um, a uh, radio talk show, and one of the women, or one of the people calling in, was, that was a comment to the issue being discussed, which was, we need to wake up, because that's what time it is. No, that's so nice. As far as I know, it doesn't come from prior at all. Okay. Right. Oh, good. Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks for that clarification. That's very Great. good. Inside, inside knowledge. Yeah, the best. Yes. There's lots of hands going up. I'm going to leave it to Joel. Going to the back. Be patient. I keep thinking about the prior piece, the uh, piece that's in um, the White House, right? There's a, yes. There's a Ligon piece. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, up in the White House now. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, panel. My name is Stanley Cohen, and I'm of no relation. And I am a photographer, and uh, the PowerPoint presentation was just awful for me. <laughs> just, you couldn't, you, how dare they put red on blue? you to read it in PowerPoint. I mean, it was impossible, and the images were blurred, but what I did get out of it was... Use the mic, because we don't want to miss a single word of this. Was, was, um, thank you, um, David, was Richard's prior comic genius, and I think you all missed it. You didn't say one word about his comic genius, and every time I looked at R Richard Pryor, I saw his comic genius. Well, now I you've said it, and we totally agree. But we're all down with that. Yes, we, we actually we probably yes, yes. we probably felt we Can didn't I need to say it because it's actually one of those things. This man is acknowledged by comedians, you know, everywhere as one of the great, brilliant, extraordinary uh, geniuses. That he does. Do you know any of his bits at all? Well, he does a bit separating the the relations between black and white. And the bit is very simple. There's two guys walking down. No, we can't take off. We yeah, can't. Yeah. We yeah. love Richard Pryor. We yeah. love Richard Pryor. No. Stop. Move on. or Say something to us that matters. I'm trying to. No, no, no. But not you about Richard Pryor. About the art we're talking about. Spasms. Let me finish what I'm trying to no, say. No, because you're off topic. You're not talking about what we're talking we're, we're about. Not, we're not reviewing Pryor. We're reviewing legal. We agree already. I know. I said that. 
Right. Okay, that's your statement. Okay, let's, um, let's leave Joel, let's, uh, let's, let's come back to this gentleman a little Who's later. Next? Thank you. Hands. Great. Uh, some more. I see someone on the right. Over here. Yes, oh. that's, there oh. we are. <laughs> some 40 years ago, as uh, so the project designer of the East Building of Nascari Bar with Ian Pei, I had the opportunity to be there when we commissioned Sandy Calder to do a huge mobile, the biggest mobile he did just before he died. Uh, in order to evaluate the work, we had a huge model, and Sandy Calder brought in this little marquette, put it in the model, I am Pei, uh, Carter Brown, professional gallery of art, and a few of us flunkies. Use the mic, please. And a few of us flunkies were a little bit around it. Yes. And at one point, Carter turned to Sandy and said, Sandy, don't you think it needs a certain je ne sais quoi, blah, 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 blah. He went on for about a few minutes. At the end of it, Sandy Calder, standing there in his jeans and his plaid shirt, his, his tie, stood to the gills, turned to him and said, you better type that up for me. Which is my comment on the extent to which so much fatuous affability is talked about about art than what an artist says himself. When you see that show and you say, uh, phoned in minimalism, well, now, I'm a big fan of Robert Irwin from way back. A fan of who? Irwin, did you say? Irwin. Robert Irwin, Robert Irwin. yes. Yep, just I checking. remember the first show I saw at Irwin, which was in 1971 at the Walker in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. and he had done a scrim against the wall with light behind it, and you were utterly blown away. I'm sure, but we're, we're not but we're critiquing not minimalism Irwin. per se. We, we're just we talking like about minimalism. Charles Harlan. No, I'm talking about the way you people criticize art. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. I saw one so over I, here. I didn't, it's getting I very didn't meta understand. We're well, saying, he's saying that he's phoned in minimalism. Is okay, right. No, Gentleman in the front, come on. Uh, oh, well, uh, Joel, it's up to you, yes. I was just like to refer yeah. to the cube with water. Um, is the title of that show Flood? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Well, I think that that space was flooded. Flooded, flooded yeah, yeah. During no doubt, Red Hook, yeah. So, I mean, it might be a little but bit more than... It's true. The, the funny thing I kept thinking about, I thought it might be a possibility, but thanks for telling us. I just, there's no feeling of flood and in the... I, it's even... To in me, it's the, even worse. The, the like, I, I feel like we're dumping on it. This is a young artist who, to me, has done other interesting work. It felt totally opportunistic to use Sandy. That, that's how I felt about it. Again, mm -hmm. you come to these works, and it's a matter of the work establishes a kind of trust, mm -hmm. you, and it, or it doesn't. In this case, yeah. I, you know, maybe that's a pessimistic or, or cynical way, but the work didn't, help, didn't get me to a point where I believed, like, everything's in play here. That could be a meaningful element. Instead, it just felt like, uh. I'll use that. Yes, yes. And I think the other thing is that he responds to space, and I'm not, I would almost blame it on the space in a way. I mean, I think he should have, I think he could have looked at the space and said, no, there's nothing for me to do here. You know, mm -hmm. the way he did at JTT. 
but that he was really sort of done in by trying to deal with that space. That's why the piece with the shingles was better because it was more contained. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's take one more comment from mm. the front. Yes. But lots of great artists can be foiled by a space, and the Tate Modern space is uh, case mm. in point. The Unilever series has messed up more artists' career than probably anything else. Uh, I, I mean. Adam's, you know, mm. artist after artist, <laughs> other than like Olafur Eliasson, <laughs> he did a great piece and it was great, but so many great artists had failed at that space. Sure. So it really has to be the right artist, the right yeah. space, and they have right. to commune. Right. About the Glenn Ligon, I thought you guys were missing some things about Glenn Ligon's no piece doubt. that were essential to me and that, you know, like I, I grew up only being able to have Glenn Ligon, uh, to have Richard Pryor as a voice on a tape recorder because he wasn't allowed in the house. So this was very strange to me that the image of him was in the house, but it wasn't then his voice. I only had his voice outside the house on a bootleg tape, me and my friends, and we were I 10 and we were giggling. And then, th so that, that's this sort of weird personal thing that I have with it, which I think also probably Glenn Ligon had growing up in a house not too dissimilar from mine. I mean, I remember when Thelma Golden basically came out for Glenn Ligon at his show on Broadway for him, because they, he, they didn't know like there were all of the, the magazines under the bed spreads and they did, it was a recreation of his uh, bedroom and they didn't know what right, that was. Right, uh -huh. So she had to right. tell them. So I think that there's this weird flipping there for if you were an African-American kid and you're growing up and Richard Pryor is not an in the house thing, then there he is in the house, in the perfect house, but then he's silenced. And then I went to another level with it, which oh, is that as, as he's silenced, I realized that all of his jokes are about his being lynched. He's constantly being lynched, and he's mad about it, and he tells these jokes, and comedians are fucked up, and they tell these jokes so they can get out of this. And then he never gets out of it, and his lynching, his constant lynching, is this story that ends with him exploding himself. Okay. And then Ligon explodes him again and lynches him again for us. So this was a terrible, terrifying piece for me. So I was terrified because I'm in the piece, and um, it's a horror film because I can see every little, it's like being at a lynching and he's playing with, he's musing with this feeling that you're at a lynching and you're enjoying the, every little tendon moving mm. in his face. It's terrifying. Right. Well, okay. how is it? It's so deep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that was super, so interesting. It but is. But I don't understand how it's a lynching. I, every the background. I don't. When you take away Richard Pryor's voice, you are lynching him again. And, and Ligon is doing that usefully. You guys have not been lynched. You're not being silenced. No. Right. You're not silenced. So that, that is why you missed it. It's very obvious, but it's perspective. It's perspective, and but but I think the, I think you're absolutely right, and 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 one of the things that I I wanted to say about my experience was precisely that that there is a relationship that's set up, and your um, relationship to this work will be you know be different, yeah. of course. Um. Boy, I, I have to say, you know, you're bringing material in that, um, when, as I said, the nervous energy of that man had a very powerful effect on me. Yeah. Watching him touch himself, watching his beautiful hands mm. move, the kinetic energy was extraordinary. But the idea that Ligon is putting the spectator in the position of 
lynchers. That seems yeah. that seems hard for me to. I, There's I a lot to accept, digest there, but yeah. I, I think what what you what you've really got with with Prior is that with 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 Ligon is that um, it, the extent to which there is a, a deconstruction here cannot be overemphasized because no. so much of Prior is actually about imitation, and so some of those jokes are uh, you know his mafia jokes. So th they're yeah. actually about Italians, and it's him doing an Italian voice with just such riveting plausibility. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, uh, and you talk about lynching in the Italian. He, you know, he goes in and threatens to shoot these mobsters with a toy gun, and and and, th and there's a whole scenario that follows from that, and his being adopted by these mafiosi into their family because they're just so riveted by that, they're just so uh, enthralled by that performance. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, one doesn't want to make light of lynching, but I do want to uh, get your agent's name by the end of the evening so we can <laughs> book you for a future review panel, sir. Thank you very much. And a good moment, perhaps, to, well, a good moment definitely to acknowledge and thank my um, associate publishers, uh, my associate publisher, Sasha Berendt, and uh, my longtime assistant and publishing associate, a different job, uh, Anna Shukilo for their input in these, despite what the professional photographers might say, to my humble opinion, rather fine <laughs> PowerPoint presentations. Uh, uh, Mr. Cohen, you, you may be right, but you should have seen how terrible they used to be. So, so we go from the flood in uh, Bushwick to a fear of waves on the Lower East Side. Um, Roberta, you've been writing about Catherine Bradford for quite some time, and um, perhaps indeed you, you are one of the critics who've helped uh, establish a reputation that I, as a relative newcomer to her work, am um, pleased to, to have established. Um, she's one of my favorite New York painters, and I was enthralled to see a new uh, genre in her work. Um, those of us already in awe of the supermen and of the ships protruding from the wall and floor um, have not just a, a new motif in swimmers and, and the sea, but um, uh, a, a stunning uh, command, in, to my opinion, of scale in, in these works. Um, uh, are you, like me, uh, welcoming of this, um, these departures and expansions in her? Well, I hadn't realized I'd written about her so much, but... Well, I just saw something from early in her career is what I meant right, to say. Right, that's one thing that happens, you forget. Yes. Um, I thought that I was really glad to see the boats go. Okay. But I found them very distracting. She used to paint these big kind of yeah. stor children's storybook boats. They were very appealing on water. And... Um, they're appealing, but you're pleased to see them go. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. No, no, sure, sure, that's fine. They were ingratiating. Okay. Right. Um, so I felt like she'd gotten to some place that was real. It's a good start where she is now. I'm still not that crazy about the figures, but the thing about her work that is basically it's the way it's painted and the relationship between what she's painting and and the liquidity of paint and the liquidity of the ocean. And I just found it much more, I mean, I really can't say much about it because I just found it much more compelling to look at. And 
to figure out how they were made and you know then a really small painting uh i don't know i mean i i actually only liked about half the paintings in the show i liked the darker ones a lot better and um although that one was okay uh <laughs> That's the uh, it was just surfer, about looking, think, yeah. what she, looking at what she was doing with paint and how she, I mean, it's sort of like Avery, you know, doing something that's kind of abstract and then you, then you suddenly see it as depicting something. And just, um, you know, she's great with material. Right, right. Great material, ingratiating. Are those uh, satisfactory, <laughs> Alexi, or, 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 or do we need to see... Ingratiating is a criticism, David. Yes, I realize. Yeah, we got that, we got that. <laughs> I realize. We got that. I, I like ingratiating paintings, I, um, but maybe it's a double-edged word. I, I am well, it's, it's saying too pretty. It's a, a Wittgenstein. Nothing that's pretty can be beautiful. So if it's ingratiating, presumably it's not You can have uh, a predilection for the prepossessing. Yes. Um, the ingratiating. Whoa. Um, I, so I'm a little bit friends with the artist and have known her work for a long time and have admired it and am like I think a lot of her wide acquaintanceship in the art world, super psyched to see her work reach a bigger audience at a, gal you know, whatever, at a gallery that um, has a different kind of cachet. Um, and her best um, paintings I love. Mm -hmm. um, and some of, the, some of the ones I would include in that category include some of the ships, which were, to me, importantly, it was important that they were at the Titanic which wasn't always clear. Sometimes it was just a ship. And mm -hmm. I, I, on the other hand, I did think she stuck with, she stayed on board for maybe a little too long. <laughs> I'm sounding like David now. Mm. Um, <laughs> that I, and I think she had a little bit of an idée fixe that like the, this was the economy was the Titanic or American culture was the Titanic or some sort of little bit overly heavy-handed metaphor in her mind mm -hmm. about um, uh, a kind of portentous and yet childlike and funny um, mm. metaphor. Um, I love some of the Supermen. Also, I, I felt that those. that way about. And I think the clumsiness of her work, um, the d the sh knowing clumsiness, is um, can be tremendously successful, or it can fall surprisingly flat. And so, in this show, for me, um, the the big Fear of Waves green painting with uh, like 36 figures was totally surprising, totally fresh, um, delightful, and some of it like. You find, to me, in the figures, surprisingly well-drawn figures, mm -hmm. alongside ones where she's, you know, again, entirely consciously but ham-handed. The other one that I really loved were the two swimmers, or maybe it's three in a green it's painting three. with a lane. The, the, the lanes, lanes, the right. pool, yeah. I thought yeah. that was a dazzling painting, and that the yeah. just the very simply laid out shadows underneath kind of like floated those figures up towards our faces, and it felt so... Um, um, so beautifully made, and the color was yeah, was terrific. The others, the, I liked the cosmic hot tub one as well. Yes. But, yes, I like. But that. Um, but there were others where I felt like the things she's doing, shifting to acrylic, didn't necessarily to me pay off. That the, I missed some of the the you know meatiness of the oil paint. The succulents in, in her yes. early work, mm -hmm. um, in in almost all the other paintings, but on the on the whole. I feel like three super strong paintings, mm. that's, I'm more than happy. Yeah. I think technically the, the, the shift to acrylic has enabled the increase in scale, doesn't, don't you think? I mean, yeah. and, and I, I'm always in awe of painters who can get from acrylic some of the succulents and, and satisfactions of, of oil. It's, um, 
you know, Merlin James would fit into that category as well for me. Um, right, right, Merlin is a kind of interesting connection. For I think so. For I think yeah. so. The construction of a, a naivete, a naivete within a highly sophisticated frame. Yes, but uh, Siri. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I also write novels, so I ha I'm a bit of a sucker for narrative elements, especially these mysterious narrative elements, and that the guy sitting around the hot tub, that's called fathers. Yes, and and. I, I was like, yeah. what are those fathers doing there? <laughs> what are they fathers of? I, I think, you know, that for me, this pl the playful, whimsical, mm. but also there are these uh, almost galactic elements, you yes. know, with the planets. And, sure. and yeah. so, I don't know, I thought those juxtapositions were very pleasing. And I understand... Um, ingratiating because there's a border there you know that it can tip mm -hmm. at times but um and i i actually like that pink painting you know you do think about bonard too with some of the colors yes. and yep. some of the women uh, under those beautiful bonard uh, mm -hmm. bathers you know where where the bodies start to shiver underneath mm -hmm. the, the water and i think she does that very well mm -hmm. um and then that pink what is it called? It's a. It has like a pink wall, and then there are bathers in front. Oh yeah, of the, the swim club. Guy in a strange the, the suit on the left. Swim club, I think. Uh, yeah, Miami swim like, club. It's like you have an abstract painting at the top, and then you have these little people. Yeah, oh, that, oh. at that the bottom. Bewildered me a little bit that painting. I but thought it was, was kind of nifty. <laughs> right. But again, you know, it's it's this, the question of. of well, I like the idea the of the narrative in a way with all that kind of painting going on. Because you look yeah. at them and you think, well, a lot of this stuff goes on, you know, sort of. I mean, this is very vague, but some of the effects she had when you got up really close to look at color under color and the way things yeah. came through, or yeah. you looked at the edges. Yeah. It's like she's saying, you know, we did color field painting and there, I still have something to do with this. Yeah. With, yes. the, with all those techniques and all those colors. And it's, and it's going to be about more directly about life. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that, that there's a lot of figurative painting that does that, saying, you mm -hmm. know, okay, this stuff isn't done. It isn't used up, but I can find more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's also revisiting. Put it in a different context. Yeah. Hmm. But also, I mean, Jad, who, who, who you, we know you revere, I mean, you've, you've mentioned him this evening. David, and don't, don't talk about how I feel about things, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, some people might be under the thrall of Judd, for instance. And that might, not, no, no present, present company excluded, but there are some who might um, accept some of that puritanical stricture that, that, that holds in suspicion um, beauty or pleasure or fun or narrative or, 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 the pers or personalism and, um, and, and who might see as uh, you know, some degree of compromise uh, the, the willingness to go to a place which is a, a very peculiar hybrid of uh, yes. abstraction and personalism, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mastery of technique and a deliberate, quirky naivete. And they, they, they work together. They, do, they can work together, and, but they can also be held in, in suspicion. So that, that, that was just the point but I was going to make. But the, to me, the, the father's painting is, was the take-home painting. I mean, there, was, mm -hmm. there were 
there were a lot of winners and hitters, I thought, in that yeah, show. But yeah, like the it. father's painting was so ambivalent. Uh, you, you guys have already uh, alluded to the fact that it's it's marine and astral at the same time. Yeah. So we've got, uh, you know, they're in a hot tub, but that hot tub is floating in outer space. And they just uh, have their legs in. Yeah, and also they no, are... <laughs> uh, until I saw the title, I was like, I pleased by their... Um, their intersexual status because they their gender was highly ambivalent. Um, uh, yes. Then fathers, um, well, that happens to be the title. It doesn't necessarily mean they but are the fathers, fathers, but no. they may be fathers. Uh, but um, they they seem to be genderless or intersexual. Um, well, and they seem to be naked and they have no penises. That's right. So I mean, really, if you you go up and you look, and I got very interested in the male-female thing because the only way you can tell the bodies apart are bathing trunks, and whole piece or or two-piece bathing mm -hmm. suits. That's mm -hmm. real. Those are the signs of sex, yeah. or of sexual difference in the piece. So in all the paintings. So I started thinking, and some of them have all men, mm -hmm. and some of them have mixed. Yeah. And then. I think that were there any all women? Um, that's a very good question. I but don't it, know. it would make sense um, that there might be um, if one could allow biography to influence <laughs> how one <laughs> reads um, a painter's work. But um, but perhaps one shouldn't. Um, uh, yeah, I, she, in the past, her work has really been about. Um, a, a gay woman's celebration of a new kind of manhood. Uh, there, there was a, mm -hmm. a painting called the New New Man, uh, and right. and and the, the Supermen uh, as as non Ubermenschy kind of Supermen yes. as as kind of the, the pathos of uh, the, her, her her spandex clad um, heroes. It, it seemed to be about um, uh, well, it's 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 a celebration of something. Um, transcending the received um, perceptions of gender. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's something of that going on in these paintings yes. as well. And Although yeah. I tend to read them more narrowly, as maybe as a painter, as pictorial metaphors. As like Superman is the kind of great tradition of painting that's now a little bit middle-aged and enfeebled, mm. or a <laughs> listing ship that's going to go down but has a little bit more life in it. Or, yeah. or even a little splash in some shallow water mm -hmm. for the final sunset hours of the medium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also the f the the fear of uh, the fear of waves. I mean, it, the color field would, would yes. and the oceanic and the the astral. They're and and going big and swimming in the ocean with those big waves. There's certainly the, a correlation between. Um, um, uh, metaphors. Uh, there, there the, the the painting metaphor is is uh, yeah. is striking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, the the PowerPoint seems to be telling us that we should be moving yes. on. It is. Um, uh, so we 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 can't argue with technology. Let's let's do so. Let's. Um, uh, um, but let's let's take a moment to think about the pairing. I mean, we don't often. We have a sort of. A, I have an unwritten rule of you know. There's so many galleries out there. I'm not just going to be lazy and convenient and do two shows in one gallery for the sake of it. Um, but these, are, these, for m to my mind, were two shows that really did uh, equally deserve mm -hmm. attention. So uh, we're thinking now about Elizabeth Clay in the adjacent space. But some commonality of sensibility, um, Alexi. 
Well, of touch, anyway. There, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm interested, it sounds like such a generic word, but I'm, I'm interested in clumsiness and, a, and how you can sometimes have a, a kind of knowing, narrow, uh, apparent clumsiness that's um, not simply a lack of skill, but a kind of um, a way of relaxing your hand and treating things um, that can be surprisingly interesting. And to me, those, those two shows shared that. Um, and um, they shared, I suppose, you know, a kind of thoughtful hedonism as well. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, mm -hmm. I don't know how m of, of how much consequence the clay show was. I wanted it to be uh -huh. more because I enjoyed those objects greatly. I felt like the glazes, the little tincture of color leaking out um, mm -hmm. of the... Uh, yeah, black white I like that changes. too. It, is, it gets almost bluish. Right. Yeah. Can yes. we just make right. a larger point just for yes. the audience that didn't yes. see the show? On the other side of every vase or container, it's th it flips. The white becomes black and the black becomes yeah. white. So there's kind mm -hmm. of optical uh, quality. Yes, that's that's key. The and then that ties in, doesn't it, formally with the use of uh, woodblock and that's uh, the negative and the positive. Um, Flipping in in the in the the way of making uh, 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 woodcut or relief prints. Yes, um, good good point, and thank you very much. And does that um, does that provide the conceptual um, key to, for you for the show? The fact that it flips. Yes, <laughs> and the fact that it's the, the well, positive, it makes it visually more interesting. But I wouldn't yeah. call yes. it the key. I mean, the key is what. How do you use the history of ceramics to make new ceramics? And yes. I felt that she was depending a little too much on the history. Although these are the, these again, are, I, I sort of felt exactly as I felt with, with the Bradford show, like that she, this took her to a different level and, and it made me more interested and I basically wanted to see what's gonna happen in the next two or three shows that she sort of, I've, I, you know, I've watched her work and I've been kind of drawn to it, but not really taken with it. Mm -hmm. And I really like these. I don't know how, you know, I don't know if I give them, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't mind living with one of them. Mm. Right. You know, mm. and I don't know yeah. quite yeah. if that would, how that would go over, you know, because that's not right. allowing yourself well, to be Well, I don't know what their prices are, if they're, they're right. priced as pots or their prices <laughs> are, you know, it's like, you get a different attitude expressed yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah. And I like the fact that they were sort of majolica, right? I mean, that's, what, that's one of the sources. And yet they were black and white. Or I always thought it was very dark blue and white. So then I thought it was kind of playing on the tradition of blue and white. But um, I also love the wallpaper. I thought that, I like uh, that really made it into a very powerful installation. Not the wallpaper. It's the print on the wall. But the... The um, the wall the treatment. side, yeah, yes. the side yes. banners or whatever. That 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 um, um, I I can't say I've decided or worked out what it means, but it just was giving me pleasure and um, provoking thoughts, um, and 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 just as as very traditional vessels that really because of that quirky handmadeness about them seem to really be um, generating possibilities. What, what was your feeling, Siri, overall? Well, of course, you know, I see the, the name of the show, so I instantly, you know, th yes. think about the Shelley. Shelley, yeah. And, of course, I mean, it's a very short poem, but... Um, and there is a quality of 
excavation, an idea yes. of, you know, the relic, but it's not a relic, it's new, um, which is, of course, a, a reference to the poem, but, but, the, but the Shelley is much darker than the feelings that... It's about hubris, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's about the terrible hubris of, you know, the king of kings, and there's mm. this monument, and the traveler is telling the poet, really, it's mostly a quotation about mm. how... Uh, you know, he's, now he's just a ruin. <laughs> yes, now he's just d but, dust in a flask. But then you don't flask. really, the, the show doesn't, it might, you know, maybe there's, I mean, I think she's talked about mortality as, a, you know, something that's mm -hmm. part of her thinking, yeah. um, making these pieces, so it might be a reference to that. I mean, using the poem as mm -hmm. a... Mm -hmm. But did it feel like it, is, there's a, a, some kind of real affinity or connection to you? In the, with the poem? Yeah. Now, there's one line. Um, I mean, it's really short. This is it. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, quote, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survived, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Azamandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away." End quote. Wow. You come to Brooklyn Public Library, you hear poetry. That's, uh, it's a beautiful poem. It's a great poem. And it's... Uh, and Shelley was like 22 when he wrote it. Too. Yes. He was and it's, it's a pretty or, or august and possibly portentous uh, sentiment to accompany a show of nine flasks and wallpaper and some... That's... Yeah. That, I, 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 I agree. Yes. I yes. mean, I think that's it. That maybe, um, that m maybe one should think yes. a little more carefully about the literary reference. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. It's, uh, uh, well, I can just imagine her saying, oh, I always liked the word. Yes. Know, as, as her defense. It's a wonderful word. It's, it's a real true. jewel of a word. I mean, yeah. it's such an amazing word. Yes, yeah. and so rolling it around in your mouth mm. is, a, is a good feeling. I but agree. then she should have called the show like Ozymandian, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a thought. I was a little annoyed. I, I mean, it is, it's fun to hear arguably maybe the greatest poem in the language or one of the top ten. Well, but no, let's no. not get carried away. Oh, no. I... I, I think you it love is. Really? I, I don't think it's one of the top ten, but it's a great it's poem. It's a perfect poem. Let, leave it there, then. <laughs> um, one of the top but ten Shelley poems. Who certainly. knew we were going to have literary fights up here? Yeah, <laughs> right. You thought they, 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 the night is young. We dealt with art. Come on, roll your sleeves up. Ten best poems. But I, I think... I think <laughs> anyway. I have a list right here. That's right. <laughs> I, I think it was a slightly irritating... Um, you know, note that it seemed like un, un, like it seemed nervous. It seemed like a nervous mm. gesture on the artist's part to add a little historical gravitas 
in mm. a way that seemed out of key with the spirit of the I, work. Yeah. Right. And likewise, yeah. I thought that some of her comments, because I did some homework and was mm. reading interviews where she's talking about um, how she loves uh, drag queens. And mm. um, yeah. I felt I in the same I way, I felt too. like you, that's, I, I didn't trust that that's really where, sh where the work comes from and that mm. she needs it. It felt like a little bit of a nervous infill backstory um, but I think the work has real, some real strengths, and I, and I feel like she should set aside these, um, those nervous gestures. Yes. And I felt both it and yeah. the, both it and Kathy Bradford's show to me had an interesting quality of being so near to being something much less interesting, mm. depending on kind of quirkiness and charm, as they both partly do, is a very tricky thing to depend on. And yet I felt like they, they turned something slight into mm -hmm. something that had amplitude and, and weight. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I appreciated both of them more for that. Yeah. Right, right. You have the fear of waves, you have the fear of sand, if you're Ozymandias. <laughs> right. There, there are elements but and there are emotions there. But you know, there is something kind of um, both vegetal and anatomical about mm. these forms, you know, bulbous like organs, you know, and they're very, they're not perfect. And that imperfection I find uh, uh, fetching. Wabi, what do they call it in Japanese? Um, Wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi, yes. Oh, yeah. But the other thing is that, and I meant to say this before, that one of the things that seemed to me precarious about her work is that it's so mult, so cross-cultural, like the, mm. yeah. the emblems, she says yeah. sometimes they're Islamic, sometimes they're maybe a little bit It has Greek. a very Romanesque feeling, the they're whole Matisse, show. Yes. They're yeah. There's, they're, she's pulling in a way that could be just sloppy Vino, and vague, Vino and yet it, yeah, doesn't, it didn't feel like it dragged me down with them. It mm. felt mm -hmm. some weirdly, surprisingly, that that was okay. That it was right. synthesized yeah. in yeah. a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Agree. A modernist yeah. for all her love of drag queens. Right. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, let's open these, these two shows up for comments from the floor. Uh, Kathy Bradford, Elizabeth Clay. Elizabeth Clay, by the way, should be acknowledged as a Absolutely. former um, review panelist. And, and oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. future okay. one too. Yes. I mean, sometime Times critic. Correct? Yes. I just wanted to comment on... Use the mic, because I can hardly hear you. Sorry. Hi, Siri. Hi, Maria. <laughs> uh, Maria Friedrich. Um, I wanted to comment on Clay's work. Um, a little louder. Just speak into it. Close. Like a singer, like Richard Pryor or something. My name is Maria Friedrich, and I wanted to comment momentarily on the clay objects under discussion. Um, I saw the show, and I thought what struck me about it was the quality of the surface, and the, re the immediate reference was Mimbra, Mimbra's pottery, which has um, a history of complete loss. The pots exist, and no one quite knows what happened to the makers. And I think that the world is right now undergoing an extraordinary um, tsunami of destruction of relics um, in sacred places and power, as influenced by somebody like a Cleopatra or others, um, is demonstrated in the broken objects of those societies. Um, and I think that the pots for me, having looked at ceramics from around the world, um, from Tarascan pottery to fine Japanese pottery, and particularly to decorated surfaces, um, are 
uh, actually an, an extraordinary assimilation of the decorous surfaces that we find in societies where those relics of time lost are actually being systematically destroyed. So it was a really curious, and also the whole thing of the black facing the white, the converse, was actually very, very interesting as well. But the leakage, serious, you notice, of the blue yeah. is like this unbelievable color of hope. Yeah, it's a beautiful color. It's like color. softens the confrontation of black and white. Mm. So um, it was a very moving exhibition, but it is in that crazy border of being both decorative and being an object that's asking to be seen as a sculptural work yeah, yeah. and taken seriously. Yep. So Thank there you, you have it. Thank good. you very Thank much you. indeed. No, no. No, I think it was good to bring out this, this, it was very good, I think, to bring out this idea of, of looking at these kinds of ceramic pieces often as not sculptural, not art, that it's a form of, of lower... Yes. Uh, 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 and so that's, I think that's very important. No one mentioned it, but I, I think that's right. Well, it, in a way, it's our liberation from that uh, hackneyed way of thinking that, that would designate... Um, and from those uh, hierarchies. Those hierarchies yeah. of high yeah. and low and fine yeah. and applied. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many artists working so creatively. Uh, you know, Betty Woodman is like the... Uh, is such a high example of that, of, 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 of exploding those distinctions, those snobbish distinctions. Yes, uh, Roman. Hi. Um, looking at the, uh, the Catherine Bradford show and everything, it was reminded of another work. Oh, it's a, it's a one-piece show at a Petzl Gallery by Thomas Egerer called... Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember what it's called. It's Waterworld, I believe, and it's, uh, it's kind of like one of, the, uh, one of Bradford's um, bather pieces, sort of blown up you know, 10 feet by 12 feet, I believe. takes up the entire room. And I, was, I just thought it was an interesting coincidence that both of those are on display you know, just across town from each other at the same time. Yes, hmm. yes, absolutely. Do but they're the, Do you remember the title, Noah? You, you wrote about the painting, the Egara. <laughs> do you remember the title of it? Waterworld, yes. Okay. You're they're completely different. They're completely different. They're, but they are they're They've got water in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi. Uh, sorry, I do have a question, not a comment. No, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. It might be another possibly irrelevant connection. I wonder if anyone can illuminate it for me. Uh, the wall treatment in the Elizabeth Clay made me think a lot of uh, some paintings that Christopher Wool did a long time ago mm -hmm. uh, with, I think he made them with rollers that kind of make wallpaper-like patterns, but yeah, uh, they seem like two completely opposite painters. Is there, is there uh, a hidden connection? <laughs> I would say between Christopher Wool and Glenn Legan there's a connection. Yeah. Um, he was yeah. um, in the back of my mind when we were talking about Legan. But um, clay, well, I, I don't think anyone has a monopoly on stencils and black and white, really. That's, um, um, but uh, if there is one to be made, I would look to someone like Barry Schwabsky yeah. to illuminate <laughs> it for me. But, um, uh, and that was indeed past and future <laughs> review panelist Barry Schwabsky who put the question. D d does anybody, uh, Roberta, did you see a, a Christopher Wool connection? No, uh, no. they seem like on the surface. It's it all Barry. <laughs> it would seem the pleasure of the wall drawings was 
seeing her try to draw the get the proportions right without any measuring. Right. And, yeah. and, and so yeah. you'd see like a form that would be squashed because she didn't leave mm. enough room and then she'd try in the next panel to leave extra room and the, then the other side would get squashed. And there's a sort of comedy there of like doing freehand something that really requires measuring. Yeah. So it seemed yeah. like entirely the opposite of, of well, a stencil yeah. where none yeah. of that is an issue. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun to put yeah. that next to the but I Charles thought Barry Harlan was going to get over to pattern and decoration, actually. Yes. That's what That's I was yeah. anticipating. Yeah. But the awkwardness that comes from painting on a vessel is the response of a two-dimensional form to a, a three-dimensional support. And so it becomes maybe a stylized extension of that to get that awkward hand on the wall where, um, where there's no real resistance beyond the fatigue or incompetence of the artist. Uh, just the thought. But I mean, I, I like, again, the, in the wallpaper as in the, the wall treatment as in the other works in that show, that quirky hand. Yes, uh, Suzanne. On the subject of uh, two and three dimensional going together, I do think that the Thomas Eger had Water World has a lot to do with what Catherine Bradford is doing in those paintings. They're both making a kind of deep space that's completely flattened out by the figures. And I wondered if anyone on the panel wants to say anything about whether they think of the Eger as being not, ha not being ingratiating. But I, I do think that <laughs> okay. there is a real relationship. Well, the Eger is so clearly photo derived this is the the, yeah. the show that yeah. the painting the single painting show at Petzl is is so clearly photo derived and it is also uh, about uh, an entirely synthetic um alienated uh, environment waterworks is a kind of disney like sort of swimming environment so it's yeah. uh, it's a it's a uh, whereas the Bradford is is so much more empathetic and oceanic, and that's why I feel that emotionally they're in just completely yes, different very, registers. Yeah, yeah, but but that. it is a uh, Roman is good to bring it up because um, because it just shows you can have a comparable motif uh, showing at the same time and and show the actual amazing uh, sort of diversity of what can be done or not done in art. Yeah, let's take three more and then. Uh, call it a night. Yes, thank you. Hi, Marianne Barcelona. Um, I would. I just feel that there's a little bit of a lost opportunity here that I would request for other future things where um, you could possibly ask the photographer to do some details. Right. Uh, some of the the magic in these works has mm. to do with very closely looking at certain parts of paintings of the, of the, on the yeah. jugs and mm -hmm. the paintings. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the past, there have been woven pieces, whatever. Just a few close-ups would really help us. And yes. uh, thank yeah, you. Thank right. you. That's, that's a, a well-taken technical point to which I wouldn't, which I wouldn't seek to refute other than to say <laughs> that, that the, the purpose of the PowerPoints is simply to refresh, remind, or entice and that the, 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 the ekphrastic work yes. of description falls on the panel. It does, it does. But then it becomes a lecture, not a panel. That's the only problem. But anyway, That's Dennis. Right. Um, Dennis Carden. Uh, having just, I, I just wrote a review of Mary Reed Kelly for Art in America that's out this month. 
And I couldn't help but think about her uh, piece, um, The Thong of, Dion <coughs> of Dionysus, um, that used, it was all entirely in black and white for those of you who didn't see it, and it involved a lot of uh, faux kind of urns that were decorated in similar ways and also had projections on them that were actually animated projections while the people were using it. it. To me, what was interesting about the two things in juxtaposition was that I thought the clays kind of were very aestheticized and very like deliberate and kind of, there was no like nothing offhand or casual to give them a sort of energy. And maybe that was the kind of Ozymandias reference was the sort of, <coughs> you know, um, just the seriousness of them that I kind of missed looking at them. I, I missed that energy that um, Mary Reed Kelly had in hmm. those pieces. Right. Hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. And um, this woman in red had her hand up. A woman in red. One? Yes. We can't miss a woman, a woman in red. In let's, red. let's, um, <laughs> Joel, if you is. would. Thank you. And by the way, a good moment to thank Joel Whitney, who does many more, Yay. Who, who, who does things in this institution that surpass handing around the mic, I can assure you. I'm Grace Markman, and what I found interesting, in addition to the technical intrigue of the Bradford painting, was her reference to Florine Stedheimer. Oh. I really felt that connection, mm -hmm. not so much in the specifics, because Florine was extremely specific in her events and her details and her dates even, yeah. but in the general sense of it all, of the, the human experience, the Bradford was a more generalized and a more, hmm, it had other things going on with the oceanic and the astral, but I still appreciate the reference to the Stedheimer. Right. Hmm. Fantastic. Okay, thank you very much. Right. You know, I'm tempted to break my rule. There's, there's a lot of good hands going up. Let's try the gentleman. I think it's Drew Lowenstein. My eyes are going, but um, right at the back there. These are all... Right, uh, you are. Right. Um, I would agree with that Florine Stedheimer reference, and um, I, I think it must have been about seven or eight years ago that the Met brought their Florine Stedheimers out of storage. And I, I'm thinking that it was probably about that time that perhaps the sort of quirky, charming uh, school of painting um, <laughs> was pretty much played out. Um, I'm wondering whether you share that opinion or not. Well, we're not taking questions, we're only taking comments, but it's good to hear that you're thinking <laughs> of it. Let me just say, though, that it's something, something very gratifying for me, and I, I'm always conscious of, self-conscious of, sounding like it's too clubby, but I don't mind it. I don't gonna, I, I'm going to be clubby. I just like the fact that we have... A, a, an audience of this size and magnitude and energy and putting up with the uh, technical little difficulties at the beginning, staying in this hot room till the end. A big thank you to the audience. But I'd also like to say, in, that, in this audience, just as members of the audience, members of the public, you might think, we have people who've been on these panels in the past and will be on them in the future, uh, and people who write for Art Critical Magazine, and I, I'm just going to do that sort of thing that my rabbi used to embarrass us doing in the synagogue and you just say Drew Lowenstein who just asked that question Barry Schwabsky <laughs> whose who's, who's comment uh, didn't unfortunately go anywhere with this panel uh, 
<laughs> Jennifer Riley, who's uh, said nothing but has been on a panel in the past. Dennis <laughs> Carden, who's been on a, uh, a panel in the past. Um, uh, uh, Roman Kalinowski is one of our young writers at Art Critical. And I, I think I've heard other and seen other faces and heard other voices. Um, but just to say, uh, you know, this is a... a, a I just wanted to. Do you want to offer good wishes to anyone whose relatives are ill? Uh, (laughs) 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 In that spirit, uh, (laughs) the the calling out and acknowledging and thanking these individuals who are here in the audience is 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 by way of atonement to to continue the rabbinic uh, uh, of the fact that. uh, in a spectacular fail, I mean, if you thought the PowerPoint was lousy, Mr. Stanley Cohen, you, the, the card that we uh, printed and gave out to you, and I'm so proud to be able to get that card printed after deciding the shows three days ago, uh, unfortunately leaves out the names of the panelists. Um, <laughs> do, do keep the card as a, as a, as a souvenir of uh, journalistic hubris or whatever, but, um, and, and do write on it the names uh, in nice big block capitals. Svetlana Alpers. Uh, Laurie Fendrick and David Sally, who will be our guests on Tuesday, March the 8th, here at the Brooklyn Public Library to discuss shows of Karen Kalimnik, Cameron Rowland, Amy Silman, and Mika Tajima. And Brooklyn Public Library, great audience, fantastic panel. Thank you very much. <laughs>